Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 254254. My name is John O'Logan, and uh, we have a very interesting episode for you today. So, RPG fan, I mean, I'm head of reviews, and I think that we publish some, you know, incredible reviews. I think we have some incredible writers uh, who write reviews, uh, one of whom is with us today. But RPG fan also publishes some astoundingly good features. Um, and we had a real, uh, a, a banger of a feature a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that came out. It was written by Caitlin, and it was Why Representation Matters, a look at asexual characters in RPGs. And uh, I read it, and I thought, oh, this is, this is first off, really, really good, really interesting. And I think that this is something that I would like to talk about on the podcast. So I talked to Caitlin, and Caitlin was gracious enough to come on, and we are going to be talking about her feature uh, in this episode. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Jono. So uh, you wrote this. Uh, you wrote this a few weeks ago. So it was published on October twenty sixth. Why did you decide to write this feature? Oh well, this feature has kind of an interesting history because it originally started as something semi related, but pretty much entirely different. Um, I had been toying with the idea since like at least uh, last year, maybe even the year before, that I really wanted to write a feature about Aloy from the Horizon games about how she was such a strong female character and important from a feminist perspective. And as the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, well, there's also a good argument that she could be asexual or on the ace or a uh, romantic spectrums. Um, and it was, it was going to be just sort of like an excuse for me to write a lot of like two to 4,000 words about how much I love Aloy because I've written a lot about Horizon for the site, but I can't, I've never been able to spend a lot of time talking just about Aloy. It's been in a review or it's been a blurb for a feature. So I have been limited. So that was the idea. And then around Pride Month this past year, June, uh, I started thinking, well, what if I expanded this a little bit? What if I talked about an asexual interpretation, or at least a queer interpretation of Aloy, um, and threw in some other characters that I loved uh, that were good, uh, I thought anyway, good rep from a queer perspective. So I was going to talk about Parvati from The Outer Worlds, and that, that stayed the same. I was also going to talk about Tyler Ronan from Tell Me Why, which is, uh, you may not have heard of it because it didn't really, uh, it didn't really do gangbusters, but it was a, an interesting sort of narrative adventure, uh, you know, sort of a telltale style narrative adventure mm. game where one of the two protagonists, uh, the character and the voice actor who portrayed him, they were both trans. So I was going to talk about different kinds of representation and the, the pros and the cons and stuff like that. Um, but the idea came to me too late. It was already early or the middle of Pride Month, and I realized. I was not going to be able to get this written in time to have it prepared and proofed and go up during Pride. And I did not want it to come out late. I didn't want it to be like, oh, like, hey, Pride Month was last month, but here, have another, here, have a Pride future in July. Like, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be timely. Mm -hmm. So then I, I realized, well, I've got two characters here who are ace or could be interpreted as ace. And Asexual Awareness Week is in October. So why don't I repurpose this and focus it specifically on asexual characters and we could publish it during ace week and have it be a really cool timely feature and so that was kind of that was the the history that was the journey the feature took and despite in true fashion despite having several months to write i still it took me until october to finish drafting it because i really wanted to take my time this is something that's very personal and important to me. So I wanted to make sure that I could really sit on it for a while before, uh, you know, giving it to our proofreading team and, and putting it out there for the world to see. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned it is very personal to you. Do you mind sharing why? Uh, well, so for those, I think I mentioned this in the feature, um, so it's not any, it's not necessarily a, 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 a secret, but for those who don't know, uh, I am aromantic asexual. I've uh, been out uh, for about four, four and a half years or so now by this point. Um, and I see a lot of discussions about the A-spec community because I follow people on Twitter and whatnot that are aromantic or, and or asexual. But um, 
it doesn't really come up a lot in, you know, like in journalism and in major channels. Uh, it's one of those, you know, lesser known uh, identities and, and orientations. Um, so I was like, I'm going to change that. Let's talk about being asexual and on the side being a, the, the feature is mainly about asexuality, but there's some, there's, they're, 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 you know, for me, they're kind of combined because I am both, but. Um, before we move on, is there any way uh, you could tell us a little bit about like your personal story? Uh, you know, when did you realize you were ace? Yeah, sure. Um, so I had, I had actually been questioning on and off uh, for a while whether or not uh, I might be uh, aromantic or asexual. And every time I thought about it, I always convinced myself that I couldn't be that. Um, on the aromantic side, I, uh, I'm i a huge fan of romance in fiction. So I love romance and TV shows and movies. And I like reading fan fiction. And I always came back to that as sort of the reason why I couldn't be a romantic because I obviously like the idea of romance, so I must feel something. Um, and on the asex on the you know the sexual side of things, um, you know, I certainly get can get turned on and aroused by stuff. And I sort of looked at that and was like, oh well, clearly I feel things that way, so can't be ace. And then. I stumbled upon this YouTube video. It was around Pride, so I think I found it because of uh, YouTube algorithms recommending things. And it was this really interesting video of this girl, uh, young woman. Um, the title was something like, What is it like being aromantic uh, on Valentine's Day? Um, but it was mainly just a lot of sort of Q&A about what was it like, what was her experience being aromantic in general. And I remember one of the things that she said was that she loved Disney romances, that that style of fairy tale romance. She loved to see it. She loved to read it. She wrote fan fiction. And one of the things that she said that really kind of struck me was that one of the reasons why she likes it so much is because it lets her experience something vicariously that she doesn't experience in real life. And I kind of, I had a little epiphany that I had been, uh, I had misunderstood what it meant to be aromantic. I had mm. assumed that because what I like in fiction, because I like something in fiction, that must mean I like it in real life. But once I went back and sort of looked over my experiences, I realized, no, I don't really feel this in real life, or I have very, very rarely felt it in real life. And that's what matters is what my experience is in real life. Um, and I'd actually even very recently before I watched that video had the offhand thought that, well, I guess the reason why I like romance so much in fiction is because it lets me vicariously have something that I'm probably never going to have hmm. um, for myself. So all of a sudden it was like, holy crap, I was wrong about being aromantic. I am definitely aromantic. Um, for a while, I thought I was still uh, heterosexual, but then I realized that I had the same sort of a similar misunderstanding about what asexuality is because it is not, it really has nothing to do with libido uh, mm. or whether or not you have sex whether or not you like sex, it's just about sexual attraction. And same thing. I went back and I thought about all of my experiences that I could remember. And I realized, yeah, no, I don't feel that. I don't feel that at all. Um, and that was one of the wildest things too, about both of those sort of realizations was not just that, gee, I'm pretty sure I'm aromantic. I'm pretty sure I'm asexual. No, it's more like, I'm pretty sure I've been aromantic and asexual for most of my life, if not all of my life. And I just didn't, for one, for most of my life, didn't even know that they were things that a person could be mm. and didn't understand, didn't have the right understanding of what they meant uh, and how they applied to me and my, my own experiences. So it was, it was an interesting time there. And it was it particularly, I was nervous about coming out. I remember I, I, I took some time to sort of sit with it and keep it personal because I was in my, you know, was still am in my thirties 
And I'd spent most of my life assuming that I was straight and realizing all of a sudden uh, that I'm not. And that's a whole new identity. And I was just like, okay, I got to- It's a massive shift just in yeah. the way you think of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's been really such a, a blessing to have that realization, to to mm. know, because I had- Like, I mean, you, um, you hear stories about how people, uh, before they realized that they weren't straight- uh, how they they thought that they were broken, um, that there was something wrong with them. And I felt those things too. I never really, let me take that back. I, I had some dark thoughts at some times um, mm. that there was something that maybe the fact that I wasn't interested was a sign that there was something psychologically wrong with me that I was like, you know, uh, secretly, uh, um, you know, a, a, a psychopath or or something like that. Like the fact that I couldn't, feel the interest was a sign that there might be something wrong and I'm, you know, secretly dangerous or whatnot. Um, And I think I don't want to put words and certainly not into your mouth or anybody else's mouth, but I think sometimes those thoughts, um, especially when they're spoken by people as slurs thrown at you on Twitter or other things, like there's something wrong with you. It's a psychological condition. It's a medical condition. Maybe you you aren't actually queer. This isn't an actual sexual identity. When When they throw those things at you, I imagine that they they sting and really stick even more when they may have been thoughts that you've had in the past while you're trying to work your way through this. Yeah, for sure. Um, because that was that was one of the the best things about uh, coming out and realizing that I was Arrowace was realizing no, I, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm. I'm not damaged. I'm not uh, I'm not a psychopath or anything like that. I just don't feel much, if any, romantic or sexual attraction. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong or bad about that. Um, but you're right. That is, that's one of the, those are some of the things that really uh, uh, tend to get thrown at uh, the ASPEC community, both, unfortunately, but both, you know, without and within the larger LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it sucks. Like, it's hard to have people just outright dismiss a truth that you have found about yourself and one that you know is valid and has meaning for a lot of other people uh, besides yourself because it is so it goes against the norm or it's it's difficult to wrap your head around if you are allosexual or alloromantic and whatnot Mm. Uh, but that's Part of the reason why representation is so important in general is those beliefs about what is and isn't normal are informed by society at large. Other people, media, your teachers, what you read in books, all of those things uh, work on you on a you know psychological level to inform what you think is normal, what, what you think should be the normal human experience. So the more rep that we can have for minority um, different minorities, different orientations, different human experiences, the more we can normalize those and the better life experience everyone who falls under that umbrella will have. Absolutely. And I mean, exposure is so important when it comes to this kind of thing, not just for people who are uh, who may be ace or and anywhere in the uh, LGBTQ uh, spectrum uh, to see representation of themselves, but also for people to see representatives of these groups in the media so they they aren't other anymore. They aren't demonized by the, their exposure. Isn't just people demonizing them. Uh, maybe their parents or something like that. Like seeing seeing gay characters in the '90s, for example, on television, like Ellen, like uh, like Will and Grace, that sort of thing, did a lot for empathy for uh, uh, LGBTQ people because all of a sudden it wasn't just a it wasn't just something that would be yelled at as a slur in the schoolyard anymore. These are actual people. You could see them. They're there. And by doing that, it builds exposure and it creates, well, empathy. Um, And unfortunately, asexuality is one of the least represented queer groups in media, including television, movies, and certainly in video games, which we're about to talk about. Yeah. um, I mean, everybody is, you hear the acronym LGBT, so, you know, everyone knows what those, you know, the big four letters stand for. Um, Even when you hear, you know, you hear the the larger LGBTQIA+, um, you know, some people still don't 
know what some of those letters stand for. Like we were saying, uh, asexuality is one of the least represented queer groups in media, including television, videos, uh, movies, and video games. And uh, I think my main issue with your feature title is the title is called A Look at Asexual Characters in RPGs, but the title easily could have been A Look at Asexual Characters in All of Video Games. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. because I was doing I was doing quite a bit of research, and it is... It's a short list. It's a very, very short list. There's not a whole lot out there, certainly not explicitly. Like, there yeah. might be... It, you can read a character as ace, but they aren't really explicitly ace. Or, or uh, unambiguously, rather. Unambiguously, yes. Um, now, all of the examples that you list in the feature, uh, except for Dragon Age, uh, the three of them I, I am very, very familiar with, um, which is good because I get to talk about them. Um, so the first one, uh, why don't you why don't you introduce the very f- the first person on the list? Sure. So the first person on the list is also the the best rep, uh, the gold standard I, of uh, representation. Yeah, I would, I would say, say. At, there's only there's only one way in which they could have made her better, and that's if. Um, uh, if Ashley Birch was out as being ace herself, uh, I'm mm. pretty sure she has come out as as being queer, but I don't yeah, she believe, is as queer. Yeah, I don't believe she identifies or as openly identifies as ace. So that that would have been amazing. That would have been like amazing. But still, yeah. Uh, so we're talking, of course, about Parvati from The Outer Worlds, which I uh, finally it took me forever to play this game, but I did play it and I loved it. I'm so and, happy when you played it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Parvati is, well, she's my favorite character out of all the companions. She's just mm. very sweet and earnest and endearing. It's really, I don't know how you could not love Parvati just in general. Well, it, for those who haven't played The Outer Worlds, uh, some might say that she's heavily inspired by Kaylee Fry from uh, the TV show Firefly, uh, which makes sense because The Outer Worlds- The entire game is-, yeah, is basically. How I describe the Outer Worlds, it feels like they developed half of the game with while well, they had the license of Firefly, and then they got the license got pulled, and they were like, "Well, we're going to release it anyway," <laughs> and they just changed the names, um, which is not a bad thing because it's a brilliant world and a brilliant game. But she is very similar uh, to that character uh, in terms of just superficial presentation. But that being said, the character is actually very different because very. Very early on, they didn't make it a secret. It's not like hidden or anything like that. Uh, her uh, sexuality is very much a part of who she is and a part of her story. Yeah, so she, uh, long story short, she meets a girl that she's interested in. And she confides in you, her captain, about this. And she opens up to you and says, you know, I'm a little bit... I'm interested in this girl, but I'm concerned. I'm a little bit concerned because I'm not really into the physical side of relationships and it's caused problems for me in the past. People have told me that they think uh, I'm cold. And uh, at one point she says, when people say you're or imply you're little different than auto mechanical, AKA a robot, um, which is uh, a stereotype that gets thrown at asexuals uh, a lot. um, You start to wonder, um, so she, she doesn't, she never says the word asexual, but it's, it's obvious, it's, it's well understood that that's what she's, she's, what she's talking about. And you actually have the opportunity as the player character to say that you feel the same way. Which makes sense canonically in the game, because there are no romantic options yeah, for your character no romance, in the game. Yeah. And to, to that point, you can not only tell her, I feel the same way about, uh, you know, that I'm also essentially not interested in the physical side of things, but you can also literally say, I also don't really care for romance. So you can, if you want to literally have your character identify as a romantic asexual. Um, but still and, kind of a douche. Cause you're like, I'm like you, but cooler. Well, you don't <laughs> have to say that. That's, you don't have to. Yeah, you can. Uh, I never picked that option. So I don't know how she reacts. She because agrees I, with you. I believe. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to Parvati. Cause I love Parvati. Who would ever be mean to her? It's well. Apparently, her previous, uh, you know, significant others were real dicks. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no. This was such an amazing experience. I had a big ass smile on my face from the moment she started talking about that because it was so true to my experiences. It was so natural. It didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like the person who wrote her didn't understand what they were talking about. Because they really understood what uh, she was talking about. Yeah. Um, and be, not only, you know, having that discussion, but also having the opportunity. I'd never 
ever. Like I think Parvati was the first time I played a game where a character was was you know very obviously a spec, and it was absolutely the first time where I had a not like a headcanon opportunity, but literally an, a, a, a dialogue option I could click to say that I was also a spec, and mm-hmm. it was. It was so amazing, but it also made me wonder, like, what would my experience have been like if I hadn't come out yet, if I hadn't realized yet, if I was still questioning? And could this have helped me come to that realization and make peace with who I am? And I I talk about this in the feature that that's part of what's great about representation. It's not just about normalizing uh, different experiences for the sake of equality. It's also about helping people who may not have found the words yet to ex- to uh, describe themselves and explain their experience and to realize themselves that they are normal and there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. Um, and I really hope that there have are people out there who played this game and met Parvati and it helped them come to terms and realize, hey, maybe I'm on the the ace or the arrow spectrum. Um, but it was, it was certainly, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I just had a time of my life with her. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I saved and I reloaded uh, some of her conversations several times because it was just so good. Um, and part of it, you know, makes perfect sense that she comes off so naturally as an asexual because she was written uh, not only she was written intentionally to be a, be asexual by an asexual. Um, she was originally designed by, and here I'll try not to murder the French, uh, Chris Latois, um, who later, or rather, I think it was fairly early on in the game's development, had to leave, and then Kate Dolleride took over, uh, doing all all the writing for her at that point. And Kate is uh, asexual herself, and. Uh, very much you can I can feel how she put her personal experiences being an ace woman into Parvati it really Mm. it really like like I said this is not a character that feels like they were written by committee that said well we need to have representation quotients and let's do this this and this Parvati was written by someone who really understood what it meant to be asexual Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's part of why she comes off so genuine and what's cool about it, it's not just the fact that she's uh, asexual. She is very romantic. Like, I mean, her entire su- su- uh, side quest is you going on the biggest quest around the entire system to set up the perfect date for her. Got to get all the things. Got to get the outfit. Got to get the the uh, the food. Got to get a gift, you know. Got to go to the, the bar and drink some beer to, to, you know, settle your nerves. But <laughs> And it's so great because it is... It's not just it's not just saying she's not interested in sex. It's saying that just because she's not interested in the physical side does not mean that she does not seek uh, the romance and the connection uh, between two people mm-hmm. and celebrate the romance as well. Because oh boy, does she celebrate it! Oh yes, yeah. It's such a cute scene. It's adorable. I love. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great scene, and it's a great side quest too. And it just it just helps. Like even ignoring all of that, she's a great character. Uh, she's always a, a bright, a, a ray of sunshine on the ship. Um, and she also swings a big hammer, which is awesome. She was almost always in my party. Like, I, yeah, mine too. I really didn't want to remove her from my party. I just like what she brought to the, well, brought to the party. Yeah. <laughs> like in terms of her character and everything, her, it was always nice to pair her with someone who was pretty, uh, cynical about the system. Mm-hmm. Cause then you get like both sides of it, but she is a, she's an absolutely lovely character. I mean, I, I really like The Outer Worlds. Uh, I reviewed it a while back. I, I'm really looking forward to the sequel. Yes, um, me too. Yeah, because I would like them to develop it even more uh, because it's such a cool world that they created. Um, and I think that they did such a remarkable job with the character. And the fact that you... I remember playing it and thinking, oh boy. Uh, the fact that you connected that deeply with a character and not just connected with the character, but also because of that character, we're able to connect deeply with your playable character Mm -hmm. uh, is amazing. And that's the power of representation. Yeah. Well, moving on from an explicitly ace character, 
to one that moves a little bit more into interpretation in absence of definitive fact, I guess you could say, or definitive canon mm -hmm. um, is, and this might actually be one of the more controversial sections of this piece that I happen to, I happen to personally think is absolute genius. Uh, it's Aloy from the Horizon series. Um, I remember I played uh, I played uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, and I was really really enjoying it. I was I really really liked it. And I remember talking to you about it, and I think that you were the one who suggested that Aloy uh, might be Ace. And all of a sudden, it it really clicked with me that wait a minute, oh yeah, this really really works for the character mm -hmm. um, because it really does work for the character. Um, the thing is, like for a lot of people, when it's not explicitly stated. Uh, the sexuality of your player character often falls into uh, your own personal experience. So straight players might read her as straight, gay players might read her as gay. Um, Aloy, though, is all about the mission, uh, single-minded in what she's doing. I mean, she has friends and she builds up strong relationships with them, but that all everything is almost secondary to what she is doing, which is saving the world, the most important thing. Yeah, and I, um, you know, honestly... Uh... I didn't say this in the feature, but I kind of personally relate to that a lot. I, before I realized that I was uh, Arrow Ace, um, when I was like in, you know, well, high school, but also definitely college. And certainly when I was in law school, uh, I always told myself that part of the reason why I wasn't really interested in dating or having sex was because I was super focused on my education and getting myself. Yeah. I didn't have time for it. And that was true. I really didn't have time for it. You know, college and especially law school is really hard. Um, so that wasn't not the case, but I can definitely relate to that mindset of there's way more important stuff that like my, my priority levels were that you know romance and sex were so far down any sort of priority as to be for me essentially non-existent mm -hmm. and everything else was so much higher so i can relate to that with aloy and it doesn't necessarily mean that every character who is super driven and focused on getting the job done or saving the world must be a spec but it was a way it was another way that i really um uh, found myself getting attached to her as a character when I was playing because I could totally relate to that whole I don't have time for the Sun King to be getting over his girlfriend that died and pro propositioning me to be his new queen I don't have time for did you not hear me tell you that there's a evil AI out there that's trying to destroy the world dude come on yeah it's uh that that scene is uh it's painful in a lot of ways he is it's oh, especially God. because like he's cute okay he is cute i like avad but seriously worst <laughs> timing ever <laughs> priorities my dude so yeah yeah and there are there are many many characters in this game who uh, many people ship aloy with both uh male and female and i'm a fan of a lot of them actually like i don't necessarily if they in the third game, if they introduce romance or they they you know, I, mean, uh, I wouldn't be able to say no to Petra, and I probably wouldn't be able to say no to um, uh, oh, shoot, there's a there's a there's several characters that I would mm -hmm. be totally awesome, uh, down for a romance with. Um, I'm cool with that. Like, it's not going to be the end of the world if they reveal that no, no, Aloy is allosexual, um, because there's lots of good characters and she does have good chemistry with them. Um, but it is, I just, I, I just really liked the idea of an asexual interpretation. And, you know, you, as with every character out there, that's not unambiguously queer, you have to do some reading into it and it's never going to be, you know, unless the developer, um, or the creator later on comes out and, and confirms, yes, that's what we were going for. Uh, it's never going to be 100% like, you know, Aloy is definitely ace and not anything else. It's always going to be, she could be ace. You could interpret her as ace. And mm. that interpretation is a valid interpretation 
in the absence of anything conflicting, you know, in a future game or any sort of, you know, uh, discussion from the devs. I hope they don't, because frankly speaking, Aloy being awkward around people who find her attractive is way more entertaining than any romance could possibly be. Isn't it? Like, isn't it just, oh my gosh, I love, I love it so much. I, I, I was like nodding my head super hard when Varl was coming to her of all people for romance advice in the second game. I was like, dude, do you know who you're talking to? I think any one of your other companions would probably be a better choice than Aloy just because you know full hand, well, she's not really into that stuff. So like one of the things in the feature that was very interesting to me is at one point you say uh, that you are trying to have, are you trying to have your cake and eat it too? Um, and Maybe say, a little. Yeah, you say that uh, I, I admit that a queer interpretation of Aloy is important to me because Aloy herself is such a fantastic character. Um, this is fascinating to me. I was talking to Amanda about this. Um, in absence of, I guess in absence of actual fact, subtext is what you read into. And there is quite a bit of subtext here uh, that can be interpreted as Aloy is uh, somewhere on the ace spectrum. Um I mean, that's the, the idea of like minority groups reading into the subtext surrounding a character and identifying them goes back decades and decades. Uh, like fan fiction was almost founded on that idea where uh, queer fans would see the subtext either in the writing or the portrayals of the character and they would see themselves in that subtext and that, that they would develop it through fan fiction. So the idea that you would see that in Aloy is in no way, shape, or form strange to me. It's it's a completely legitimate interpretation of where Aloy is coming from as a character. And to be honest, I think it's a really good one. Yeah, I think it it definitely it's a more interesting ex- experience, I think, than to just say, "Well, here's another allosexual, possibly heterosexual character," um, you know. And the fact that she's a woman too, um, uh, you know, that obviously I love that because I mm-hmm. want more strong uh, female characters in games in general. But I also, I feel like uh, I've seen some arguments made that it's not fair that Aloy doesn't have romance options because if the character had been male, uh, if, if, if she'd been a man, maybe she would have because, you know, we're still dealing with sexism and, Devs still seem to prefer the idea or seem to think that the idea of a male lead is more popular. And that's the thing to do these days is you give people romance options. If you have dialogue choices, you tend to give them romance options. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely get that argument from like a feminist perspective, but I really felt like it was far more interesting that they created, first off, you know, this big ass, beautiful triple A world uh that you know the engine is so good that hideo forkin kojima wanted to use it for Yoink. uh for him to be <laughs> yoinked it and used it himself um and i'm not the biggest fan of kojima but <laughs> made you know, a much more boring game yes made a, a horrible delivery game uh out of it um <laughs> See, out of this it, entire episode talking about asexual issues that's going to be the most controversial thing either of us say right there <laughs> I couldn't finish it, okay? I tried. <laughs> and honestly, you know, as a total aside, uh, uh, the main character in that game, there's arguments for him being on the uh, on the A spectrum too, uh, either asexual or aromantic, both. There's actually, and I mean, if I had finished the game and if it was in our coverage, I would have considered it, but like I just couldn't mm-hmm. get over the boredom of delivering packages across a... Anyway, that's beside the point. Um it's a triple A game. It's a beautiful game. The engine's amazing. And they made the main character a woman and they made her strong and smart and funny. And she doesn't need anyone really. Although part of her growth is, you know, being is learning to accept help and letting people into her life. But I thought it was so refreshing that they, you know, they gave her plenty of characters that she had good chemistry with, that she became friends with, but they didn't, they didn't create romance options. They didn't force you to make her have these experiences. They just let you experience the world and save the world. And that was honestly really refreshing to just have that kind of experience. And you want to know what? I feel like this is actually very much in support of your interpretation of the character being Ace because um, some people might argue one of the reasons why there's not a whole lot of uh, 
asexual or aromantic content in video games or other types of media is because uh, a traditional romance, whether it be between uh, the same sex or uh, a straight couple, is what many allosexual writers rely on for conflict. Because mm-hmm. there's the classic will they or won't they, the Ross and Rachel type of conflict. Now, arguably, understanding that you know there is there is a spectrum, and many uh, ace people do look for romances. Coming from an uh, an allosexual perspective, writing perspective, it might be more difficult for them to work that into a game. Um, the fact that it's not even here to me says that it's not a priority to Aloy at all, and certainly not a priority to the developers. It's, it's just, it's beside the point. It's not that they're not giving her because she's not a male character. It's, it just doesn't really belong in the game. That's not the story they're trying to tell. And I appreciate them for that. I appreciate that they told the story they wanted to and not the one that the, 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 the players necessarily would have expected or that other games in the genre would have would have uh, would have created the expectation for yeah exactly um, and I mean one transitioning this into your last uh, your last conversational point in this in this uh, feature uh, one developer that really really does go down that route for content uh, notoriously so is Bioware. Um, with their games, including Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Now, I'd like to say that I have not played Dragon Age. I have played all of Mass Effect, including uh, Andromeda. Um, And if you want to listen to more of that, you can listen to Retro Encounter this month. Um, But Bioware does uh, utilize the romance options in their game uh, for every game. There's there's tons of romance. romance, You can romance various characters. Some are are gender-specific so if you're, you know, if you, if you can only romance them, if you're a man, for example, or a woman, um, and in some cases it's, it, it's a little awkward, for example, for years and years, uh, especially in Mass Effect, uh, the first Mass Effect and some Dragon Age games, there would be fairly explicit softcore sex scenes that accompanied these romantic side quests, which was a little weird for me when I discovered that. Yeah, bio early Bioware um, certainly had this problem of having the culmination of the romance be a sex scene. Mm. I mean, even even uh, at fading to black and like you know you know not showing any you know thing beyond like some smoochies and boobies or whatever. Um, you know mm-hmm. that was that was for like for for Mass Effect. Uh, for pretty much all of the mass effects that's your last scene with your love interest for the most part is sexy times and that's when you get the achievement for completing their romance so that's in other words like hey yeah you did the deed here's your reward i remember that when i got my quote unquote reward i was just like wow that is a very blue ass <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, and and they've gotten rightly criticized for that, like you, you know, not even necessarily from uh, an ace perspective, but just like a, you know, you know, real relationships. I mean, the ones that go beyond like the first uh, intimate, you know, encounter. They usually they do that. They go beyond the first intimate encounter, and they still are learning about each other beyond the first in- intimate encounter because mm. you know, human beings they take time to really you know, become a tight knit group and to know everything about each other and whatever, you know, it, th- that's whole sort of like, Oh, we banged. <laughs> okay. You know, and particularly from an ACE perspective, it really kind of sucked that you could find yourself interested in the character, but in order to complete the romance or at least to complete the narrative, mm. you have to have sex. Like in the first mass effect, you can tell uh, Caden, Ashley, or Liara, uh, that you don't want to, like, you need to focus on the mission, but they just, they just leave. They just, you just basically the tell them, the yeah, you basically tell them, Hey, I like you, but we can't do this until we deal with Saren and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that felt, that feels kind of yeah. like even from like, okay, there's the, there's the course there's, there's the meta, there's the completionist stand- standpoint. You buy a game, it has X number of scenes you want to see all the scenes you can. Like that's part of the point of playing a game is to is to experience the content. And of course, on a certain level, it feels kind of shitty to say, well, I'm not gonna 
do this content uh, or I can't do this content because I want to role play my character in a certain way and the game won't let me do both. Mm. Um, but there's also the fact that, you know, I said this at the beginning of the episode, uh, society acts on us through a lot of different avenues to form what we think is normal, what we think is expected, what we think we should be doing. And even for people even for people who are queer, even for people like me who are out and confident, we feel that pressure. I feel that pressure all the time. I still, to this day, sometimes feel bad about the fact that I don't feel romantic attraction. Mm. I don't feel sexual attraction. I still feel bad about the fact that, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to find a person that I can be with because it's really can be really hard to find is, you know, unless you find someone else who's also arrow ace, it can be really hard to find someone who is okay with the idea of a person who's not really into romance and a person who's not really into sex mm -hmm. or doesn't really feel the attraction to those, those experiences. And I've made my peace with it. I've, I'm generally, I usually tell myself that I'm perfectly happy being by myself, but sometimes I don't always feel that. And sometimes that's because society is telling me I should want to have, well, society, let's be fair. Society is telling me I should want to have a boyfriend because mm -hmm. society is heteronormative. Society is telling me I should want to get married. I should want to have kids. I should want to have sex. Uh, all those things. And I know I don't want to, and I know that's cool, but I can't help but feel that pressure. And it's the same way sometimes when it comes to video games, like, that you know the game gives you romance options and you want to mechanically experience the content but you can also sort of be like well shepherd has all these options and you know i don't know just because i'm queer doesn't mean that shepherd is queer maybe i'm going to role play shepherd as you know banging caden okay so now i'm I mean, banging caden i don't know why in hell you would ever do that but <laughs> i did it once oh, i God. banged him once so that i could experience his romance in mass effect 3 and then I fucking hated it. Never again. I You heard it here, probably not for the first time. Um, Ashley's content in Mass Effect 3 is so much better than Caden's. I'm sorry. I, oh, I wouldn't know because Caden was, I was offered a choice between Ashley and Caden. It was not a choice. It was not a choice that I had trouble with. Caden oh, is, Caden is, I like Caden and I, you know, I don't know. But Ashley, Ashley takes you to a bar. In Mass Effect 3, and you get to have a bar fight in Mass Effect 3 where Caden just takes you to your apartment and cooks Canadian food for you. Yeah, no one likes that. I don't even like that. It was super boring. I know it's super boring. Every night I go in and I cook Canadian food, and I'm just like, God, this is boring. <laughs> I am <laughs> Why sorry can't I have taken myself our, to a bar? <laughs> I'm sorry to all of our Canadian listeners. Uh, I love Canada. I really do. Uh, it's just Caden that's boring. Like They, they could have maybe made a better rap for you. Here's how boring Caden is. I just learned that Caden was Canadian and I still would choose Ashley to live. <laughs> um, okay, well, what you were saying, it makes sense to me because the reason why uh, Shepard and uh, the Inquisitor here is in this feature is because in Bioware RPGs and in a lot of RPGs, romantic options are put in front of you and you can choose to forego those romantic side quests. So you have technically the option to roleplay the game as Ace. But like you said earlier, you like romance in your fiction. Mm -hmm. You want the idea that, yeah, you could role play uh, Shepard as Ace, but you would be missing out on these, some really, really interesting character interactions. Yeah. And in, and in a lot of cases, it's like, if you don't romance them, that's where the story ends. Like yeah. there are extra scenes when you romance them and some of those scenes still give you some, some character development. And you miss out on that. And that kind of sucks. It, it it kind of feels like it would have been nice if the developers had created some sort of binary system where if mm -hmm. you don't romance the character, you still get some extra content that maybe you don't if you did romance the character so that you can still complete their story arc even if you don't romance them. Which gets considerably better in Mass Effects 2 and 3, especially 3, where the loyalty missions are not necessarily romance like you really do get to form really really close relationships with these characters and see the vast majority of their content um it's not ideal but you do get to see like most of that and also the softcore porn kind of goes away in two and three um 
it comes back in a big way in Andromeda, but oh boy, uh, yeah, I am. Um, I couldn't do some of the romances because it was just so like over the top. Andromeda, I enjoyed Andromeda, but it has some issues. I don't think the hot alien Catman is really as hot as everybody else thinks. Like, I couldn't romance him. I, I tried, and I was just like, I, I shot him down because it was like I don't, I don't know. I just didn't feel any kind of real uh chemistry between the yeah. two he's no garris I'm no sorry. he's no garris but no one is garris no one is garris no one can ever be garris which i mean and part of the beauty of playing a uh rpg like this is that you do get to role play uh as a character and you don't necessarily need to role play it as yourself like for example my commander shepherd was a very monogamous lesbian who was into aliens <laughs> like really into aliens uh had a massive crush on uh on all of the aliens, but was was loyal to her blue uh, her blue wife. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I carried that through all three games, and it created a, a really a really interesting story for me that went and a relationship that went through all three games. By the third one, it was I, I really really felt like they've been together for years and years and years. There was so much history there. It was it was great. Yeah. Anyway, um, what I was going to say is there was a video I watched a couple of months ago. I can't remember who. Uh, created it, but it was about how bisexuality had changed video games. And one of the things that uh, the writer said in it, uh, they said, um, there's a difference between uh, mechanical bisexuality and canonical uh, bisexuality in video games. And that also applies here, mechanical asexuality, but not necessarily canonically asexual. So like you can play Shepard as ace, but canonically speaking, that's not what the game wants you to do. Yeah, I don't, um, everything that I said about, you know, what you could do in the Mass Effect games, like either just completely abstaining or uh, Mass Effect 3 was really nice and gave players the option to turn down the final sex scene, mm-hmm. um, which is really cute. Like, you know, as much as I don't like Caden, the, the, uh, the scene with him where you don't have sex with him and you just cuddle is really cute Aww. um and like i said in the piece you could make the argument it's far more intimate to just cuddle with your love interest than to do the nasty with them but like i mean arguably you could cuddle with a piece of cardboard it would have the same effect as cuddling with caden but that's i think i think caden is probably more comfortable just like you know but anyway um <laughs> there's nothing you know like it's not like the outer worlds where you have a, a dialogue option to say I, I I don't feel sexual attraction and I don't feel romantic attraction either. It's all sort of like you abstaining and then having to headcanon. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you mentioned, that's, that's really, that's what fan fiction was born out of is headcanons. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfectly valid way to interact with and experience uh, a piece of fiction and to, to put your spin on it and to put that out there. Um, but at the same time, you know, it it feels like having to, you know, dance around what the game lets you do in order to create the experience that you want. And it's mm-hmm. not always ideal to have to do that. And I mean, like, it's the same way with Dragon Age Inquisition. Like, um, there's a character for male Inquisitors, Dorian, who's from Twinter, that you can have a, a, a romance with. And once again, you can explicitly turn down sex with him. And he actually makes a really interesting comment about how that's not usually like there there are gay relationships in Tevinter, but they're usually only physical and people don't really have feelings mm. uh, in Tevinter, or at least not between two men. Um, so you can choose not to have sex with them, but, you know, again, you have to headcanon it as, well, my Inquisitor is ace and doesn't really want to do sexy times, but is falling in love with Dorian. Um, and there are other characters that you can do similar things with, but again, not, none of it is explicit. It's all, you have to create your own personal headcanon. And like I said, the Bioware games are really good for that. Like, you know, that's, that's the, that is the advantage of games like the Bioware games where you have dialogue choices, where you have romance choices, where you are encouraged, where the entire point of the experience is to make decisions and make the character your own and see how things happen. And I don't, I, I talk about this in the feature, how it's kind of a double-edged sword, because that's really good. That's really important. And it's especially useful for uh, people in the LGBT umbrella, because mm-hmm. it allows them to have 
that experience to have Shepard or the Inquisitor be their identity, their orientation. And it can work for multiple different people. Shepard can be straight. Shepard can be gay. Shepard can be lesbian. Shepard can be bi. Shepard could be ace. But the flip side is that because all those options exist, there's no definitive one. And so it's not quite as strong as a character like Parvati that was designed Mm -hmm. from the get-go to be unambiguously ace. Um, Doesn't mean that we should just ignore it. As long as we recognize that there are some weaknesses to these kinds of characters, they're still valuable representation for the same reasons that a character like Aloy that isn't unambiguously queer or ace is still valuable. Mainly because I said this a couple times, especially when it comes to ace characters, we don't have a lot of them. If all we limited ourselves to when we're talking about representation for asexual characters is characters that are unambiguously ace, the list, which is already super short, would be much shorter and we I can't really afford and SpongeBob SquarePants. It would be something like that. Yeah. It would be ridiculous. And, you know, we, you know, forgive me, but we kind of need to take as much as we can get because the only way we make things better, the only way we can, you know, make things better for people in the real world, but also get more diversity and more diverse player experiences is if we start somewhere we have to start mm. somewhere and sometimes that means we have to do a little a little reaching a little you know sort of reading between the lines and making arguments for how a character could be queer could be ace mm-hmm. in terms of not missing out on content um forgive me because i just started to play it uh like three years too late but i just started playing well not just started i've been playing hades for the last week um for the first time and uh obviously i love it um which is unsurprising, but something that I really like what they do is with their love interest, because um, you are offered a choice of whether or not to, I guess, uh, continue the relationship down a sexual uh, path, but it is specifically said when you are, when you are offered this choice, the game literally tells you it will be fine, whatever you choose. You're not going to lose out on content. You're not going to miss out on anything. Uh, and that's a nice, I thought that was a really, really nice feature to put in there because I feel like a lot of people make choices because of fear of missing out of content. Yeah. And that's just, that's part of, you know, it's part of what games have done to us. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've, we've come to expect the whole sort of checkbox experience when it comes to games in terms of like, well, I want to do all the things I paid well, now I'm paying like $70 probably mm-hmm. for this game. I want to get my money's worth and I want to see everything that the game lets me do. And if I don't, then I feel somehow like I haven't really gotten the fullest experience I could have. So yeah. I'm going to do all these things. Like, you know, the number of times in a game, like it had nothing to do with romance or or anything like that, where I've done content that I don't really care for just because I want to... I, I want to make sure that I don't miss something, some, you know, some side content, some piece of gear, some, you know, thing that I, I, I don't really do achievements, but they're absolutely people who will go in platinum games and achievements usually force you to do all sorts of Weird repetitive, yeah. awful shit that you probably wouldn't do in a natural experience. So, you know, games are really good at that whole, you know, making you feel like, you know, FOMO, I, I have to do this. I don't want to miss out. Yeah. What we were talking about a second ago with how Bioware handles their playable characters and the limitations of that model versus like a, a written NPC like uh, you can find in The Outer Worlds and how that that kind of plays into the idea of how, how do you portray uh, asexuality or any kind of sexuality uh, generally uh, in a video game. What would you like to see in the future when it comes to asexual representation in video games? Obviously, more of it, but like, how would you? What would you like to see in terms of how it works in mechanically? Um, well, obviously, uh, the the first answer is I want more characters like Parvati. Mm-hmm. I want more openly unambiguous uh, ace and arrow characters. I want more explicit options from developers. If you're talking about a game where you have dialogue choices, I want more opportunities for the player character to express their i mean not not even really just about being ace or arrow i want more opportunities for the player character to express themselves in general um that's 
potentially a downside to the way that a lot of uh, narrative choice, you know, Bioware style games work is that you only really express your your identity through the limited romance options that they give you. It would be interesting if the games gave you an opportunity, you know, organically, naturally. Don't don't make it feel forced, but like give the characters an opportunity to discuss themselves and not just ask questions and you know flirt with another character. Um, in that same vein of talking about you know games with give you different options, like I said before, I think it would be really cool if we stopped. Uh, making the romance and the sex scene the 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 full arc of the character story. Let's stop mm-hmm. ad- uh, having the character story be dependent on you romancing them. Mm-hmm. Let's have content for characters that you could romance, but you didn't. Mm-hmm. Like beyond, you know, you know, like a, a final bro moment between, you know, it, again, let's say you saved Caden. I know most of us didn't, but let's just say you did. A final bro moment with Caden where you like meet at the bar on the Normandy and just, you know, you know, clink your glasses or whatnot or something like that, that you only get if you don't romance him or if you're a dude or whatever. Although actually, take that back, Caden, they made Caden uh, buy in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. They did not not make Ashley buy though, so fuck you, Bioware. Are you an Ashley fan? I have a complicated relationship with Ashley. Um, I don't like her religious views at all. Mm. Um, and I don't like her her racist, alien racist views at all. But she was way more interesting of a character to me uh, in Mass Effect 1 than Caden was. And despite her horrible makeover in Mass Effect 3, I did like her better in in mass effect 3 than Caden. like i said she's got she got she gets the bar scene and she gets the drunken i'm drunk on the normandy scene which is so perfect so yeah i don't know i mean it's not my favorite drunk on the normandy scene my favorite drunk on the normandy scene is uh is tally is is tally yeah tally's the best so i mean like i like ashley a little bit more than Caden, but I can take and leave either of them because everyone else is more interesting. I like my blue wife. Um, It's interesting you say that because I think that um, Mass Effect 3 took a major step forward in terms of developing the characters outside of the romantic relationship. I feel like my closeness with most of the characters in that game, um, yeah, there was the romantic, uh, there was the romantic stuff, but I still felt like I really got to know everybody else. Whereas in Andromeda, it was a big step back because if you don't choose the romantic option for uh, a variety of characters, you only get to know them on a super superficial basis. Yeah, like a P- like uh, in my in my run, uh, I, I romanced PB, uh, and because of that, my relationship with Cora felt really truncated. It felt really awkwardly. It just didn't work. Um, same thing with uh, same thing with Liam. Like by the end of it, I didn't really know Liam all that well and I thought that was such a shame because actually but the, the cast was my favorite parts about Andromeda yeah I uh oh I don't even remember did I romance any I don't even remember if I romanced anyone in Andromeda because I just wasn't oh no I did I romanced um the smuggler guy uh the 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 Han Solo-esque he's not a party member uh, Mr. Danger <laughs> yes because he was interesting um and I wasn't really feeling any of the other romances but yeah so i actually i did the uh i guess this would be the the you know how in dragon age inquisition uh there are you have several romance options that aren't actually party members Um, i've heard yes um although uh there's they're far more uh fleshed out in inquisition than this guy was in andromeda so i also still felt kind of cheated because it was like oh that's it okay Mm -hmm. Mm. i I think my favorite moment of passing up romance and a passing up a romantic option in any game was in Mass Effect 3, which was because I was extremely, my character was extremely monogamous. And with Liara, uh, Samantha Trainer came up to my quarters to get a shower. And uh, oh. she was in the shower and she like made a hard pass at me. And I was like, I'm fine out here. <laughs> and Trainer oh, was just like, oh, good old Trainer. Oh, what do I do? I'm in, I'm in her shower and now I'm awkward. And it was it was a 
very funny moment. Yeah, I remember that scene. I found that scene kind of super awkward too. Like, it was I like, so awkward. I like Trainer, but I'm like uh, Chain of Command, much oh, girl. Like like Shepard has ever given a crap about Chain of Command. But like still, like I don't care if Shepard gives a crap. I would have expected Trainer to. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, <laughs> well, I really do hope that. Uh, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd be able to take a look back at this feature in a few years from now and maybe add a couple of more characters to it in the first column uh, of uh, asexual representation, the the definitive one, like the not reading between the lines or not mechanical asexuality, like a an ace character. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's kind of what you that's kind of what I would want from a character, a very well written character who is complex and who has choices and makes makes them, makes themselves and their past known as you get to know them. And that's part of the brilliance behind uh, Bravardi. So, yeah, that would be nice. So I don't have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, in that case, uh, if you are curious about um, this feature, obviously the link is going to be in the, uh, is going to be in the episode description. Uh, Caitlin, I, I will include a few, a little bit more, uh, some more information about uh, asexuality. There are several. There are going to be several links in the episode notes. Caitlin, any off the top of your head that you can that come to mind? Uh, well, the big one that I always think of first is AVEN, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network, and that's just uh, www.asexuality.org. Um, it's just a good general resource. They have forums, which I have not honestly used in ages, so I don't want to necessarily definitively speak to them, but they definitely have some good general resources for, you know, if you're just wondering, want to learn more about asexuality, if you're questioning uh, yourself, that's a good place to start. Um, I really like uh, Ace Dad. Um, this is a this is a gentleman who is, uh, he started, I think, doing like short like TikTok videos, but I believe he has, also has a YouTube channel now. Um, just Ace Dad advice uh, on, on Twitter. Um, he's really nice and he does these short little videos where he answers questions about like, what is it like to, you know, be ace or what, what, what if I might be ace? And he always has, I think, a a good uh, take on things. Um, on the podcast side, uh, I often on listen to the ace couple. This is a, a couple, a married couple who are asexual and, uh, uh, one of them is also disabled, and their podcast has actually been really interesting because they talk a lot about the uh, intersectionality between asexuality and uh, the disabled community and how the two sometimes uh, can uh, feed off of each other in, in negative ways. There's there's often um, there's a lot of issues that can come from, um, uh, obviously, uh, reading into uh, asexuality as being a medical condition or, you know, something, you know, reading the idea of being asexual as being, oh, well, you're disabled because you, you know, you can't do it or you can't feel it or whatever. But then there's also a lot of issues that, you know, plague the disabled community uh, uh, when it comes to the idea of uh, autonomy and intimacy and stereotypes about, you know, quality of life. So, um really interesting perspectives that I myself hadn't really thought of because I'm not disabled. So I don't always think about that perspective, which is why I think it's useful to listen to people who uh, are impacted by that experience. Uh, Which is a good reason why I think listeners of this episode, maybe even if you're not ace, if you're not, if you don't, if this is not if this hasn't cued anything in your own brain, check out these resources anyway, because there's some really, yes. really interesting, great information in here Yeah, that can make you, wake you up a little bit. Yeah. And the more people who really understand what asexuality is, the more we can combat bigotry and the more we can normalize it. And that is, I say several times, that's part of the whole point of representation is to get to that point where we can you know, find some semblance of equality and acceptance and normality for our, you know, very real and perfectly normal experiences. And uh, I would like to thank you for coming on and certainly thank you for writing this feature because it's a fascinating feature and uh, it was really, really great talking to you about it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Nah, always. Okay. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping before we leave today. So, uh, just to remind you, we have a store now, rpgfan.com slash shop. 
and we have all kinds of things in there. If you wish to support the website, that's a pretty great way to do it. And by supporting us, you will be getting cool stuff. So check that out. Um, you're listening to Random Encounter. This is just one episode. We have many, many others. Just a heads up that due to scheduling, we have a we have an episode coming out next week that we needed to get out as soon as possible. So we're going to be doubling up on Random over the next two weeks. So you have this episode. There's going to be another episode of Random going up on the 14th. Then you are going to get an episode of Rhythm Encounter on the 21st, and then another week after the week after that on the 28th. And then we'll just be getting back to our usual uh, one week on one week off schedule. Um, this is not the only podcast we have here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter, and it's Mass Effect Month. So we talked a little bit about Mass Effect here, uh, and if you are curious about the experience of playing uh, the Mass Effect trilogy, my experience playing it for the very first time, or uh, Solosi's experience about playing it many, many times, or Wes's experience playing many, many times and playing it in different ways, give those episodes a listen. Uh, it's going to be all throughout the month of November, and uh, we had a blast recording these episodes, so I think you might have a blast listening to them. Uh, as I mentioned, we have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Last week on Halloween, we had the Halloween special Castlevania episode, which was a lot of fun. And then in two weeks from now, uh, our rhythm panel is going to be catching all the songs with a Pokemon episode. So be sure to check that out. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you if you have any suggestions or comments or discussion questions that we can mention at the end of the show. Uh, we, if you give me a discussion question, I would be happy to say your name on the show. Um, if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com, or you can also find me on Twitter at J-O-N-O underscore Logan. Though at least you can find me on Twitter at the time being. Who knows how fast Twitter's going to be going down over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been interesting. Oh, I, I can't remember. Somebody online said... Uh, Ignoring everything else that's been going on, it's just really interesting to watch Elon Musk speedrun burning $44 million or billion dollars uh, online. Mm-hmm. Um, Caitlin, where can we find you online? Uh, you can email me at CaitlinA at RPGFan.com. Okay. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can please share it with your friends. Help us get the word out there. Rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. Again, Caitlin, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, everyone out there listening. And whatever you're playing, have fun.